Hello everybody, this is the podcast Ukraine War Decoded and I am its author Viktor Kovalenko from the United States. I do this to help Ukraine informationally, because before my immigration I worked as a journalist in Ukraine for many years. My guest today is Brian Porter Such, a professor in history at the University of Michigan. He is an expert in Poland and wrote books and articles about this Eastern European country. We are going to look into the role of Poland in helping Ukraine during the war with Russia. Here are some statistics. To date, more than 5 million Ukrainians crossed the Polish-Ukrainian border seeking shelter from the Russian bombs. This is an unprecedented number of refugees accepted by Poland. According to the surveys, about 70% of Poles have gotten involved in aiding Ukrainian refugees. Before the war, all of this was merely unthinkable. So, Professor, why does Poland help Ukraine so much? That's a more complicated question than it might seem at first glance. Of course, I'd like to say that it's just, you know, human generosity and concern for suffering. It's somewhat more specific than that because the response to war refugees in Poland has varied considerably depending on the country that those refugees are coming from. Previous years, there's been a great reluctance to uh, accept any refugees at all, even tiny numbers of refugees from outside of Europe. So I think we have to look to more specific cultural factors that explain the enthusiastic uh, welcome that Ukrainians have received. I think it relates to a few factors. First of all, there was already a large Ukrainian population in Poland, both legally resident and uh, people who were there without papers as well. People from North America would recognize the situation in Poland because the position that Mexicans occupy in the United States is a position that Ukrainians in Poland find themselves in very similarly. Those existing patterns of migration, I think, facilitated things. I think the other factor, of course, is hostility towards uh, Russia that is quite widespread in Poland. And so there's this idea of a common enemy that is very easy to evoke. And the fact that in the sort of cultural map that Poles have, Ukrainians are seen as sort of us, that is part of the family, (laughs) part of Europe. uh, Ukrainians are defined as white, whereas uh, uh, any immigrants who are seen as non-white get a very different treatment. My next question is more about the painful historic past between the Polish and Ukrainian nations. Far before the war, Russia constantly tried to exploit the tragedies and fights between Polish nationals and Ukrainians and sow further division. Another example. Recently, Kyiv government had to call back its ambassador in Germany, Andriy Melnik, for his comments regarding what German and Polish people think about Stepan Bandera, the Ukrainian nationalist leader before and during Second World War. The comments by a Ukrainian diplomat weren't helpful in times of the war, so he was fired. My question is, can such a divisive past disrupt the help from Poland? When we talk about the role of history in the present moment, it's always really important to remember that history is always mediated. History is taught to us. You know, we don't know history unless it's taught to us because we don't experience it. So whatever happened in the past is often less important than the way in which those events are conveyed to people alive in the present. 
you know, we can certainly tell a story of conflict between Poles and Ukrainians, or to be a little more specific, between the Polish nobility and the peasantry in the Ukrainian lands. This is for hundreds of years, this uh, was an area defined by unfree labor, not quite as bad as slavery, but close, often quite close. Serfdom was a horrible experience, and uh, most of the landowners in the territory that is now Ukraine were Polish, uh, affiliated with the, the Polish nobility. So that's a, to put it mildly, a very uh, fraught relationship of master and laborer. Uh, now, of course, that's centuries in the past now. And uh, the mediation of that memory has gone through several stages since then. In the early 20th century, it was still close enough so that stirring up animosity in times of strife was quite easy by radicals uh, on both sides. You know, that's why we get in the mid 20th century and around World War II and in its immediate aftermath, so many atrocities uh, committed you know, by both communities. The thing is that even that, though, now is over a half century in the past. And from the Polish perspective, what has been conveyed to a younger generation is more focused on the common experience of the Soviet era. Poles are taught about the Holodomor. They learn about the experience of the Second World War within the framework of great power aggression. And while they're also taught about, for example, the massacre of Alinia, that's nowadays very much a part of the school curriculum, that's only, from the Polish perspective, taught as one aspect within a broad story in which very often the Ukrainians are cast as victims of great power aggression, victims specifically of Russian hegemony, and that's something that Poles are also thought that they too have been in that position. So I think that from the Polish perspective, that the way in which history is taught today gives a slightly different perspective, one in which Ukrainians are not positioned as the enemy in most senses. Now, of course, having said that, there are extremist groups in Poland that are very xenophobic and very nationalistic and will perpetuate uh, hostilities towards Ukrainians. But uh, even among the more mainstream nationalists, that's a somewhat less salient message than maybe it once was. So we have to really think about the more proximate past and not the the distant past, which may or may not be getting conveyed. And that more recent past has been one in which Polish governments of all political persuasions have worked very hard to try to maintain a stable and independent Ukraine, not out of altruism. It's very self-interested. It's very bad to have Belarus on your border insofar as Ukraine can be saved from that fate. It's good for Poland. So that's why governments of really the left and the right have consistently worked towards trying to prop up as much as possible Ukrainian sovereignty really since 1989. Uh, that's been a consensus in foreign policy. I heard from many in Ukraine that if you help to defend Ukraine, that means you help to defend Poland and the rest of Eastern Europe, because Ukraine may not be the only target for the aggressive Kremlin revanchists. We know that television in Russia is full of hateful rhetoric towards Poland and the Baltic countries. What do you think? Can Russia attack Poland? You know, you never ask a historian to predict the future. We're bad enough at predicting the past. But um, I would consider that a very unlikely course of events, although not impossible. The thing is that because Poland is part of NATO, to attack Poland or to attack the Baltic states, I mean, 
I was going over to Poland and a member of my family asked me, well, is that safe? And I said, Poland is as safe as Michigan, because if the war reaches Warsaw, it reaches Detroit. Then we all have many bigger problems to worry about, like the survival of the planet. I cannot see, certainly not under the current administration in the United States, that an attack on Poland would be accepted in any way. That, that would mean war between Russia and the United States. I have to believe that even Putin is not that uh, insane. You know, again, having a Belarus-like situation in Ukraine is horrible for Poland in terms, maybe not of military security, because I think that's less of an issue. I think we've seen now Russia is weak. Russia is not a strong country. It is not a military threat, uh, except for the nuclear weapons, which, of course, is huge. But in terms of a conventional military attack, it's hard for me to imagine that Russia can be a threat to Poland, really, in any way. Professor, I'd like to know your opinion as a historian about the unprecedented integration initiatives between Warsaw and Kyiv. In March, Polish parliament adopted a special law granting the Ukrainian refugees the legal right to work, medical and social care. In return, the parliament of Ukraine is currently in the process of adopting a similar law to allow Polish nationals the same on the territory of Ukraine. Are those moves simply gestures of strong friendship, or are there hidden reasons behind such initiatives? I will admit that I was surprised to see it. Uh, it's, it is unprecedented for one country to make take steps like that. I think there are a few reasons behind it. The popular support that the Ukrainian uh, war refugees have received has been so strong that any government would have to respond to it. It's not a moment when there would be any political gain for any politician to be skeptical about Ukrainians in Poland at this moment. It is already changing a little bit. There are the beginnings of some voices of resentment and xenophobia in Poland, although that's still marginal for now. I think we have to also be honest that the current government in Poland has gained a lot by showing generosity in the legal status for Ukrainians. As I'm sure you know, this government has taken a lot of criticism internationally and uh, certainly from the rest of Europe for many reasons, but among them, the very sort of nationalistic rhetoric regarding immigration. So now they can say, you know, we're not xenophobic because look at what we've done for the Ukrainians. You know, then critics in Brussels perhaps forget about the fact that if you cross the border a few hundred miles to the north, you find a wall. And anyone who tries to help refugees crossing there with Belarus, any Pole who tries to help a refugee there is arrested. Go 100 miles south and the exactly the opposite situation is there. It uh, gives the Polish government something, you know, a, a line to respond to criticisms. There is a labor shortage in Poland right now, in just purely practical terms. Legalizing that relationship makes so much sense. And in terms of the educational system, got to do something with these hundreds of thousands of children. Integrating them into the regular schools in Poland may, may or may not have been the right choice, but it was a generous choice. And uh, it's uh, something that the current government can use to respond to criticism. You are listening to the podcast The Ukraine War Decoded. My name is Viktor Kovalenko, and my guest today is a history professor from the University of Michigan, Brian Porter Such. This year's spending by private citizens and authorities in Poland to support Ukrainian refugees will exceed 25 billion zloty. In US dollars, this is 
5.3 billion. For Poland, this is almost 1% of the country's economic output. This is data from the survey results released on July 27th by Polish Economic Institute, a government-affiliated think tank in Warsaw. Professor, it looks to me that the Russian war forced Poland to drain its financial reserves. Is this creating a threat for the stability of Poland itself? This gets into this very specific politics of Poland right now. But over the past few years, finance minister has been a very, very weak figure. Budgetary decisions have been made by Jarosław Kaczynski, the leader of the governing party, and the finance ministry has assigned the role of simply just finding the money, uh, whatever they want to do. Uh, and so the budget debt has increased, um, in ba- the budget deficit has increased considerably, and the current ruling party is not terribly concerned about that. One of the slogans of uh, the Law and Justice Party is that they want to fight against what they call impossibilism. They, they don't want anybody to say, you can't do that. You know, that just can't be done. They enact the policies they want to enact, and then they'll figure out later how to deal with the financial consequences. They've taken a lot of criticism on this from economists, not surprisingly. And uh, we'll see in the coming years if there are consequences. At the moment, though, economic growth has still been, up until this year, so strong in Poland that they've been able to do this on almost all their other policy initiatives without really any consequences. Currently, the uh, debt-to-GDP ratio in Poland is about 46%, which is very, very low. You know, In the United States right now, it's over 120% of GDP is the national debt. So You know, Poland is not at the moment terribly indebted, thanks to the robust economic growth of the past decade, 20 years, really. That has given it room to spend. And uh, it's important to remember that a lot of the spending circles right back into the Polish economy. You know, if you're giving a refugee a grant, some money, well, what are they going to do with it? They're going to go to a store in Poland and spend it, right? And then there will be taxes on that uh, transaction, and it just goes right back into the treasury. So while the numbers might look large in absolute terms, it's not anywhere near as big a financial drain as it might seem. It's more a case of, uh, you know, shifting resources around Uh, you know, every other charity in Poland has been complaining that they're receiving nothing now. Uh, nobody can raise any money for anything because all donations are going towards Ukrainians and funding anything else right now is very, very hard. So a lot of it is about shifting resources and a lot of it is about spending money, which can be seen as a stimulus towards moving, you know, increasing economic activities. For centuries, Poland traditionally and overwhelmingly was a Catholic country. Poles even had their own pope, John Paul II, who was very popular around the world and did a lot of good things. But times and generations are changing. And my next question is about how significant the role of the Catholic Church is in today's Poland, especially in helping the Ukrainian refugees. I think it's a very marginal part of the situation. The transformation in religious life in Poland, particularly over the past five years or so, has been extraordinary. The level of religiosity in Poland has really, really collapsed. I remember what it was like, say, back in the 1980s, when every time you would go to a church, it would be totally full, and now they're empty. Among young people in particular, I recently saw a statistic showing that as recently as 2015, over 90% of uh, secondary school students attended religion classes, and now it's uh, around the 30-something percent. Teenagers are not interested in Catholicism at all. 
number of uh, polls that go to mass on Sunday is below 40%. So the majority of polls are not religious. Opinion polls show that trust in the bishops is almost zero. I mean, it's, it's very, very low. The lead in raising money and organizing help, you know, since February has come from the private sector, not primarily from Catholic organizations. Caritas, Catholic Church's charitable organization, has certainly been very involved. I, I don't want to downplay that. They've done excellent work, uh, but they're not leading this event. And then when it comes to the papacy, whatever the Pope says now, it's going to be extremely hard for him to recover from the hesitation he demonstrated early on when for so long he would not condemn Putin. It's hard to explain. I think it comes from the fact that as, uh, you know, in the Latin American context, uh, you know, the, the the big imperial enemy is the United States. And uh, there's a long tradition in Latin America of seeing, you know, the enemy of my enemy must be my friend. And since the Soviet Union and then Russia is seen as hostile to the United States, there's a, a certain fondness for Russia. It's really the inverse of what one sees in Eastern Europe, where there's such a strong pro-American sentiment. You always look to the other imperial power as the greater danger. Uh, I suspect that this motivated that Pope Francis was so hesitant to condemn Putin's invasion. And uh, for whatever reason, though, this has been much discussed in Poland. It's received a lot of coverage and the criticism has been intense. A Catholic church that is already struggling in terms of its reputation and its and the, the enthusiasm among the population is now even more criticized. I think that this whole story has really been another chapter in the secularization of, of Poland. I'm wrapping up this episode of my podcast, The Ukraine War Decoded. My name is Viktor Kovalenko. I am a former journalist from Ukraine living in the United States. My guest today was Brian Porter Such, a professor of history at the University of Michigan. We talked about Poland and how it helps Ukraine. Please follow me on Twitter at Mr. Kovalenko, Mr. Kovalenko, one word. Support the production of future podcast episodes by donating what you can to my PayPal. Or you can set up small monthly donations through the Anchor website, which you can find in the description. Goodbye and so long.